We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Let's take a look here at Mark in chapter uh, 14. This is a uh, very interesting text. Mark 14, verse 26 and following. I'll tell you why. I'll give you a little illustration I got this week. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, I got a call from a guy named Scott Drew. Anybody know that name? Head coach, Baylor University, won the national championship, their basketball team. And uh, Fox News kind of had a celebration on him this week. Uh, Baylor played a particular team north of the Red River. And uh, so we'll just move on. And so uh, I was over at Brickhouse Gym, and I was standing there looking at the televisions there on the, they have up, and I saw Scott Drew being honored and everybody, I may be wrong, but I thought it was at the, at the OU game that they honored this guy that won the national championship, showed his uh, national championship banner there at the Baylor Arena, a first national champions, Baylor University. Well, years earlier, I got a call from Scott Drew, and his team was playing North Texas, Oh, they were staying over at the Radisson Motel. Y'all remember the Radisson? They were staying at the Radisson. And Scott Drew was taking over a Baylor team that had just dismissed its coach because of a murder on the team. Y'all remember that? It was a murder. One player murdering another. And uh, some things were not done as they should have been done. They dismissed the coach. They hired this young guy named Scott Drew. Stepped into the, about the worst situation you could step into. And so he came to play, called me and said, could you come over and talk to my team? I said, I'm an old Waco man myself. You bet. And so I came and it was a somber kind of a devotional. These kids were in a place, I guess only Penn State from a few years ago had been in the same situation. But we, uh, I talked to them, just kind of prayed with them, just talked as one older man to younger men about life and difficulty and being play in the hand you're dealt and trusting God. And, uh, you know, when I finished, I hugged old Scott goodbye, you know, for about 20 minutes. <laughs> he didn't want to let me go. And I said, Padna, I said, uh, I know God is big enough to be right with you. You just stay there. You just do the best you got, and then we'll wait and see what happens. And I remember that very clearly. That was his worst moment, was starting out on the bottom of something. And uh, I looked up just yesterday, and I'm watching him run out, high-fiving everybody, cheering his name, lifting him up. And uh, I was turned to anybody who happened to be around me, which there was none, and I said... Uh, if you could have been there where I was, that would mean even more to you because I saw that guy on the bottom coming up. And that's kind of what we're going to see here at uh, Gethsemane. Have you ever heard of Gethsemane? It's a synonym for being crushed. It is the worst moment in Jesus' existence. Is right here. And it will be followed in 72 hours by the greatest day in human history. But he's going to walk through that valley of the shadow until he gets there. That's why it was real spooky to have Kendall play that song right there. Did he tell you all the story of that song? Kendall, did you tell him the story of that song? Oh, yeah. I had, when I had a heart attack about... Right after you came. <laughs> no way. Right after you came was the complete emotional breakdown. That's what. Then the heart attack, then COVID. All right. But Kendall played that song. It was a really catchy song. Really caught my ear. Uh, 
about God's arms about you when the night is dark. And it just stuck. You ever get those songs stuck in your head, you know, and you're just singing them all the time? You're uh, <laughs> just stuck in your head. And that song was stuck in my head. And uh, that day, all of a sudden, I had a heart attack. And I went down, boom. And it just happened that the head of the Denton medical team was in the next room. And he came in and he pronounced those words. He said, you're having a myocardial infarction. And I didn't know what it was. But you don't want to get infarcted in the myo. <laughs> Any place, all right. And so they rush, and as they were taking me up, and I knew it was a race between that ambulance and the Grim Reaper, all right, is who's going to win. And uh, we got there first, and I was singing that song. It was just stuck in my head. And that night, I always wondered what that song was until I just heard it. But that's a song that uh, God will carry you through. Then the morphine took over. And I was, I was singing, hey, Joe, where you going with that gun in your hand? Going down to shoot y'all at here. So, <laughs> that's what I was singing. Gethsemane. In chapter 14 and verse 26. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The upper room is dismissed. The hymn is called the Egyptian Hallel, H-A-L-L-E-L. It's Psalm 115 through Psalm 118 that celebrates the Exodus. And they would sing it at Passover to celebrate the Exodus. And the last words of the Egyptian Hallel in Psalm 118 was the greater exodus. It goes like this. The stone the builders rejected. This has become the chief cornerstone. It came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes that the ultimate exodus is going to be because the Messiah is going to die. How would you like to sing that just before your execution? That's what it did. And so that song finds its fulfillment in Christ. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament... The standard of Old Testament power, the Red Sea, is only mentioned twice. Hebrews 11, 1 Corinthians 10, it's just mentioned twice. What takes its place now is Calvary, the greater exodus. And so Jesus was connecting the Old Testament song to the New Testament song. As Moses finds his fulfillment in Christ, the one who takes his stand between God and men and interprets God to men and represents men to God by sacrifice, here comes the greater Moses. As the Passover finds its fulfillment in the Lamb of God and as the Old Testament finds its successor in the Bar Mitzvah of the New Covenant. So Christ sings this song for the last time. The Egyptian Hallel. The next song you hear will be Amazing Grace. And they go to, verse 26, the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is a ridge that runs alongside the city of Jerusalem. You go down the Mount of Olives to a ravine called the Kidron Valley. You go up the other side into the Eastern Gate and to the Temple Mount. So it's how you would come to God or how you would leave God and go over the over the rise into the wilderness. And this is where David went when he was betrayed by Absalom. And the whole nation followed after David, I mean Absalom. And David waited where Jesus waited after being betrayed. David waited to get word back from a guy on the inside named Hushai as to whether the David was gonna come after him to kill him. Because he knew that Absalom would not stop with killing him, but he would do a Nazi extermination on everybody that was around David. And so David removed himself to protect the nation. And he waits on the Mount of Olives, and here comes his guys from the inside named Jonathan and Ahimeaz. 
and they bring him word. He's coming and he's bringing his army. We've brought to you the Ark of the Covenant. And David said, take it back where it belongs. He said, if God, if he is going to judge me for the Bathsheba incident and the Uriah incident, then let him judge me. And if he is going to let me walk, then let me walk. But take it back. In other words, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And so I am willing to die. And then it says, David ascended the mount, weeping. He went over the mount, outside the border of Israel, and he went to the wilderness among the Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? On a man betrayed and rejected by the nation, says, not my will, but thine, to protect the nation. He offers himself, weeps on the Mount of Olives, and in his rejection goes to the Gentiles. But he's coming back. Okay. And then we see in verse 27, a prophecy being fulfilled right in front of him. Jesus said, you will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd. That is called the doctrine of propitiation. Who is it that killed Christ? God did. I will strike the shepherd. I will satisfy my wrath on him. I will fulfill prophecy in him. I will fulfill the thorn of law on him. Here the seed of woman will be bitten by the serpent. Right here. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And in 70 AD, the nation disappeared. The disciples took off running and Jesus stood alone and the sheep shall be scattered. And in verse 28, but after I have been raised, I know something you men don't know. I'm going to die for what I did not do and I will be raised from the dead and then I will go ahead of you to Galilee. They're gonna send word to you to go up north and meet me in Galilee and I'm gonna spend 10 days with you and I'm gonna talk about, and I quote Acts 1, the kingdom of God, that there's a big bright future ahead of me and ahead of you that you didn't know about that my death is the door into eternity. So I'll meet you in Galilee and I'm gonna spend 10 days talking about what's coming. And then I'm gonna say, wait right here so that what the Father promised will be sent and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be clothed with power and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And in those that follow you, we're gonna to go to the ends of the earth. So boys, Something is about to happen here so big that you have no utter idea what I just said. And so, in verse 29, Peter said to him, incidentally, let me stop here just a second. In verse 27 and 28, does Christ know everything that's about to happen? Yes, he does. Does he know what the future holds? Yes, he does. Has he got everything under control? Yes, he does. Would y'all please remember this when you, have, when you get infarcted? All right. When you have your heart attacks and when you have your, you know, strokes or coming down south to play Baylor, whatever should happen, that it's a dark day. I am amazed at the humanity of Jesus. It's called poise. It's poise. He never blinks an eye. God's gonna strike me. You're gonna scatter. I'm gonna rise, go to Galilee, and we're about to start the biggest thing that's ever happened on planet Earth, the movement of grace. Remember this when it's hard, that you hadn't heard from heaven yet. You just, like we sang, you just rest. You just rest. You do all that you can do. You pray, you wait, and you rest. And that's what Jesus did. Well, in verse 28 or 29, Peter pipes up. Open mouth, insert foot. Peter, even though all may fall away, I will not 
I'm a special guy. You've designated me the head of the 12. I'm the leader. I will not fall away. I am of a stuff that these other men are not of. Verse 30. Truly I say that you will not fall away this night. As a matter of fact, you're going to fall away three times. That attitude of pride, you can't have in a Christian leader. It can't be there. It has to be evaporated. You can't preach it out of a guy. You beat it out of him. Especially men. They have to be beaten. Stripes that wound scour away sin. Peter couldn't be reached by preaching. He couldn't be reached by an admonition. He can be reached by pain. He's going to have a slave girl said you were him. And he's going to deny that he knows him. And after three rejections, he is going to turn and his eyes are going to meet Jesus' eyes. And Peter will go off and weep bitterly. Every guy, every girl that is going to be significant, God has given the grace to do so. But they have to be able to handle the blessing. You ever plugged a 40-watt bulb into a 110-watt outlet? It'll pop. It can't take the heat. It'll pop. And that's what happens when you take humans and you give them ability without humility. They pop. They can't handle it. And so Peter can't handle it here. And so he says, before a rooster crows, before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. And that's interesting because every morning in Israel, guess what your alarm clocks are? It's the rooster. It's the rooster. And so every day of Peter's life, get up, you little wiener. <laughs> he gets woken up every morning. The apostle Paul, yeah, Paul said, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. The wishing is present in me. The gooing of the good is not. And then he speaks in the first person. The good that I wish I don't do, I practice the evil that I don't wish. But if I do the very thing I don't wish, it's not me, but it's sin that indwells me. I find then the law, evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. Wretched man that I am. Paul said that, uh, that in him the patience of God was made evident that him as the chief of sinners, as the chief of sinners, God might show his perfect patience for all who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul said, not I was the chief of sinners among whom I am chief. Because of the greatness of the revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh that I might not exalt myself. Three times I asked God to take it away. And three times God said, no, no, no. I like you on your face. That's where I want you. And if I don't do this, I'll ruin you. So I need to keep you on your face. God is more concerned with us being happy. He wants us to be great. And that may take sometimes some like all men have to do, you've got to get a hard look at who you are. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Men especially have to get a hard look at who they are. Uh, remember that great Christian show, Star Wars? <laughs> Luke Skywalker, always looking for his father. Yoda, the Hindu priest. He knows who his father is. Who's his father? Darth Vader. So you don't know Romans, do you? But you know Star Wars. Yeah, Yoda says, you, Luke says, I'm not afraid. Oh, you will be. You will be. When you take that mask off and you see yourself 
and you're going to find out who you are. You are the child of the enemy. And I've got to introduce you to you. And so, Peter's going to get introduced to Peter here in a little bit. And so, in verse 31, Peter said, I respectfully differ. He kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they were saying all the same thing. Confidence, overconfidence can be contagious. And it was. So Peter has led them into a wrong way. I, I don't know if I told, let's see, it may, it may have been the second service that I told this. Peter, did I tell you all this story? If I, if I do, just get up and go to the restroom. Hold on, hold on. Just sharing with you. Uh, Jesus appeared to Peter and on the, when he was fishing. Peter leaped in the water and said, it's the Lord, and swam to him. And Jesus was kindling a fire, just like the fire he denied him over with the Roman soldiers. He's kindling a fire, fixing some fish. And uh, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me more than all these? Like you said, though all may fall away, I'll follow you to the death. Do you love me all the more these? Well, he said, and literally said, Peter, do you agape? Do you love me? And Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. I'm fond of you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Yeah, you're honest. Amazing. And you ask him again, Peter, do you agape? Do you love me? In the presence of all these men, and they're looking at him, listening. And Peter said, Lord, you know that I'm, I'm fond of you. Tend my lambs. I can use you now. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo? Are you fond of me? You like me? And it said, and Peter was distressed because he said to him the third time, are you fond of me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Dad, burn it. You know it all. You know I'm fond of you. I ain't the man I thought I was. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And someday they're going to gird you and take you where you don't want to go. And this he spake of the death by which Peter would glorify God. Was Peter someday going to do what he bragged about doing and couldn't do earlier? Yes, he was. I'm going to make you someday what you thought you was. And someday, you're going to lay it down for me. And Peter said, John, how about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain till I come, if I want that old scudder to live 20 centuries, watch that to you. You follow me. Well, how about John? That's his story. That ain't your story. Your story may be that you die at 12 of leukemia. His story may be that he dies at 96 and we got to beat his liver with a stick to beat it to death. But that's his story. That ain't your story. You, how's he finish? Follow me, you, moi, follow. That's all you got to worry. You follow me, wherever that leads. And it is interesting that Peter and Paul and all the guys listening that fled someday would all die. That's the grace of God. Well, in verse 32, are you with me? And they came to Gethsemane. It, it's a, Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. It's an industrial 
uh, what do you call it, industrial place, all right? It's where you, you crush olives and you get the olive oil, goes right over the rise in the temple, that's where you're gonna use it. And so we're gonna, and you, today the olive trees are older in America. I mean, you can, you go there and see them. It's really interesting. I'm gonna be in Israel next week. So what I'm preaching about right now, I'm gonna be there in a few days, okay? And I'm gonna do a drawing and I'm gonna carve one of y'all's initials. On the, I'm just kidding, all right. And so in verse 32, they came to Gethsemane and he said to the disciples, sit here until I've prayed. Judah said he went there often. This is his favorite place. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. This is my favorite place with my men. It's quiet. And so he came to Gethsemane. A uh, little story in a story. Man was created in a garden, Eden. Man sinned and was lost in a garden, thorns and thistles. Man was interceded for in a garden, Gethsemane. And man is going to be raised in a garden tomb on Easter when Christ raised. And he's going to be brought back to Revelation 22, the garden. Isn't that amazing? From Eden to Eden with thorns in between. And so in verse 32, he said, sit down here until I have prayed. Now, verse 33 and 34 are the most powerful verses in the New Testament on the nature of Jesus. It doesn't stop to explain them. And began to be very distressed. Have you ever felt stress and troubled? And he said to them, my soul is grieved deeply unto the point of death. I've never been to a place where the emotional pain was so deep that I didn't know that I could physically handle it. But he was there. Remain here and keep watch. Imagine what he faces. He that knows his Old Testament and the shedding of blood, he's about to step into that shadow. There is awaiting denial, abandonment, being lied about, beaten, imprisoned. His own nation fleeing, scourged, his beard plucked, spit upon, crucified between thieves, mocked. He that knew no sin made sin, Cursed is everyone who dies on a tree. And he knows that's about to come due on him. And he has memorized Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Imagine for just a second if we had a deal that for you to save somebody, here's the, the arrangement. We have to legally arrange it so that you are found guilty of the Amber Hagerman murder. Do y'all remember that? Amber alert. Guy takes a little girl out and murders her. And so we're going to find you guilty of Amber Hagerman's murder. And <clears throat> it's gonna be a real guilt that everyone around you is going to believe you did it. And we're gonna try you in front of them, including your parents and your best friend and your church. And they're going to look at you and we're going to show the evidence that you did it. Only you and God will know that you didn't. And they're gonna pronounce you guilty and you are gonna to have to stand up and look at their eyes that look at you, and they're going to see you as sin. And you can't say a word. You have to go to the chair. Now, how would you feel the night before? Well, that's how he feels. He is, we have no concept of what this means. You know, I have a friend named Keith Chansey, runs Canica. 
And he and a bunch of guys from the Kennecock Institute went on a tour to Arabia and their Israel tour, went over to Jabal al-Oz. Anybody know what that is? It's Mount Sinai in Arabia. You couldn't get there before because Muslims had it all chain linked off and stayed back, so you couldn't get there. And now they will let people through, and they let this group through. And Keith said, we're driving up to this big mountain that is chain linked around, and they got the doors open. They're going to let us go in. He said, I wondered why there was a shadow halfway up the mountain because there were no clouds, but the mountain had a shadow on it. And I got out and realized it wasn't a shadow. All of the rock was incinerated. It was all burned. It was like a nuclear explosion had gone off on the mountain. This is Sinai. And he said, we started walking up. And these are a bunch of young American singles that usually are dancing and taking pictures of everything. He said, there's dead silence. We're all walking up to an incinerated mountain. Over here, we see a big, huge rock that has been broken in half. And out from it, there is an obvious riverbed that has come out, water from a rock. He said, there are places that have been used for altars, and they show men holding up calves. And there are no four-footed animals in that there's nothing to eat. But at some point, a great amphitheater of people gathered there, sacrificed, worshipped a calf, had a burning mountain, and had water come out of a rock. And it's dead silent. There's no guides. There's no people handing out anything. There's no Starbucks. It's just the only place on earth that you can go to find the footprint of God. And Keith said, we went up on that mountain and stood at the place where Israel was told, do not come this way or be stoned. And he said, we just looked around. I said, how did you feel? He said, silent. How else did you feel? He said, I felt like I needed to get off that mountain that this was a place humans weren't to go. And somehow, whenever you look at this text and you preach this text, you feel like Keith Chancey felt. This is where humans enter into the holy of holies about this man. And so it says in verse 35, now incidentally, there is a great practical application to this. Do we at times in our life have to go through? You know, David talked about the day that Saul took a spear and threw it at his head. And David had to take off running for what would be years of running for his life, trusting God. And David simply called it that eventful day. A day when my life turned. This is a day of that eventful day. Have y'all ever gotten a phone call in the night from a loved one that ain't with us no more, a mother or father, or found out something about your kid or something? All of us have been through eventful days. Just, I want to show you how God as a man does it. That the first thing he does in verse 32, uh, sit down until I have prayed. You come to God. James 1, let him ask of God who gives to all men wisdom liberally and it will not be, it will, he will not be ashamed, it will be afforded him. And so you come to God. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me to my Father's throne, make all my needs and wishes known. And you come to God. And then in verse 33, you tell your closest friends. You tell your closest friends. A brother is born for adversity. 
You, you need guys that say, I'm with you right here. And then in verse 34, you tell them how you feel. My soul is deeply grieved. Remain here and watch. What do you want me to do? I just want you here. Y'all ever felt like that? I need you here. I just need to hear your voice. Whenever I went through that stuff I went through about 15 years ago, I would ask people, tell me I'm going to make it through this. I remember Gene Wilburn. How many of y'all remember Gene Wilburn, our dear elder? He said, have you been in the fetal position yet? I said, no. He said, I have. I've been there. So you need people just to say, I've been there, and you're going to be okay. In verse 35, what do you do then? You fall on your face, and you begin to pray. And what you pray, in verse 35, you honestly pour your heart out, that if possible, the hour might pass by. Does Christ really believe that the cross will be removed from him, that he doesn't have to go through it? No. But it's how he feels, and he pours his heart out. I do not want to be here. Remember, Christ is our incarnate God. He is fully man. You've heard me say it before. He's not Clark Kent that looks like a man, but he's really not. Jesus is really a man. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so he said in verse 35, if it were possible that this hour might pass. Hey, can you pray and say, God, I don't want to be here. And if there's any way you can remove that, God, I pray you'd remove it. Don't be ashamed about praying it because you're going to think it anyway and he knows what you're thinking. So just say it. And in verse 35, you see how he sees God. Or in verse 36, Abba, that means Papa. It's a way a little kid addresses his daddy. The only guy that says it in the New Testament is Jesus. And then Paul, the spirit within us, says, Abba, Father, you just say, Daddy. So he sees God as tender. But then he says, Father, he sees God as good. God's not just tender, he's good, he's a father. And then he says, uh, yet not what I will. He says, all things are possible for you. That's one of the most quoted verses in the Bible. Everything is possible for God. It's like Jesus quotes back to God, John three sixteen. Everybody knows it, but he gives God a verse. You know, when I went through my hard time 15 years ago, when I got hit with clinical anxiety out of the blue, I would lay there and I would start A to Z on the bed and I would take an attribute of God, A to Z. I would take a famous person in the Bible, A to Z. I would start as a little boy in my memory and start praying back on how God had always been with me. And so Jesus is quoting scripture to a God that invented it. But you quote scripture. And then he says, uh, yet not what I will, but what you will. The cup to pass from him is the cup of death. And he says, God, remove this cup. I don't want to do this. But then he submits himself to the sovereignty of God. His God is tender, his God is good, his God is sovereign. God, not my will, but thine be done. I submit. For as long as it needs be, I will submit myself. Whew, that is tough. Incidentally, there's a great lesson right here. If it's possible, the hour might pass by. All things are possible. Remove this cup but not what I will, but what you will. It's a great theology. 
If it is possible for you to save man without my dying, then do it. But God, not my will, but thine. Can God save man without Jesus? No. Jesus didn't just die for the arbitrary will of God. He died for the nature of God. Granted, God would save us. A divine being had to die. There was no alternative. And so Christ submits himself to the sovereign, eternal nature of a good and wise, sovereign God. Is that maturity? That's maturity. And he's doing this when it's silent. There's no voice from heaven. It's silent. And then in verse 37, he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, are you asleep? You couldn't keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. He turns to them to say, uh, boys, you're going to face this too. After they come for me, they're coming for you. Amen? They're coming for you. And so you need to follow me in prayerfulness and watching because you're weak. And so you be ready because I'm leaving you in a battle zone. I'm doing a drop and you're right in the middle of it. So you be ready. They don't like me and they don't like you. All of these men will die violently, except John who escaped prison and died a normal death, but they all died very violently. And so he says, you be ready, because what I'm doing, you're gonna have to come before me and submit yourself to me and trust me. And in verse 38, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We would all love to be heroes until all of a sudden the tramp of boots is on the way. Then you'll be amazed what can happen to your courage. So you're not the men you think you are. You walk close to me. He keeps going on. Three times he went away saying the same words. 41, he came a third time. Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is being betrayed. I know everything that's happening. Now, I want to show you something amazing. Take a look at Hebrews and chapter 5. In Hebrews 5, he's showing you that Christ is worthy to be our sympathetic high priest. And in Hebrews 5, he states that every high priest taken from among men, in verse 1, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God to offer sacrifices for sins. In verse, 40, in verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided. He can be a sympathetic priest because he himself is beset with weakness. That priest knows what it is to sin. And because of that, in verse 3, he has to offer sacrifice for the people and for himself. In the book of Leviticus, the first sacrifice the priest offers is not for the people, it's for himself, that I'm a sinner. And not only that, but in verse 4, no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God. Stop right there. To become a priest, two things have to happen. You have to be a sinner and show that you're a sinner and that you offer sacrifice for yourself. And secondly, you don't volunteer to be a priest. God calls you. So can we say that Jesus is our priest? Yes, because number one in verse five, he didn't glorify himself to become a high priest. But God said, you are my son. And in verse six, you're a priest forever. God designated Christ as the mediator between God and man. Amen? Jesus didn't candidate, didn't fill out a form. God said, you the man. 
Now, there's another thing that you've got to show here. And if you're smart, your brain is working right now because you're saying you have to offer sacrifice for sin for yourself and you have to be called by God. Christ was called by God. But did Christ offer sacrifice for sin for himself? No, he didn't. He offered up something else. Look at this. This is not just true and brilliant. It's cool. Okay. In verse 7, and in the days of his flesh, those 33 years of humanity, he offered up. You see verse 3, the priest is obligated to offer. Verse 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered something. And it proved that he was one of us. What was it? A sacrifice for his sins? No. He has no sins to be sacrificed for. He offered up something else. He offered up prayers, supplications, loud crying, and tears to the one able to save him from death. What event do you think the author was thinking of? Gethsemane, where Christ betrayed the fact he was a man and that he wept to a God who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his piety. His holiness was not just his by birth. It was demonstrated and forged by horrific decisions he had to make. Eight, though he was a son, the very son of God, deity, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. He had to go through what all of men go through. And in verse nine, you know what Gethsemane was? Having become, what's the word? Perfect. Gethsemane, one theologian said, was the ripening of his saviorhood. When he said what Adam would not, not my will but thine be done. You're gonna die, not my will. They're gonna pluck your beard, not my will. You're gonna be forsaken of God, not my will. And so Gethsemane shows he is a true man. Look at Psalm 40 that is quoted in Hebrews 10, but look at Psalm 40. In Psalm 40, this is quoted about Messiah. And in verse 6 through verse 8, David, the king, in talking in verse 1 through 8 about the goodness of God, talks about the response that God wants. And he says in verse six, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. God is not that excited about a dead bull and a dead lamb and a dead ox and a dead goat. That's not the end all with what he wants. In verse six, rather my ears you have opened or my ears you have dug. Whenever a servant had his seven-year hitch fulfilled, he could volunteer to stay permanently with his master. And the master would take his ear and drive an awl through it. And now his ear was opened and he belonged forever to the master out of love. He was now not a slave, but a bond servant. And that's what it means. Here's what you want. You don't want religion. You want a human being that says, I belong to you. I'm yours. My body is a living sacrifice. Whenever Christ would heal a deaf man in the Bible, he would put his fingers in his ears and say, Ephatha, be opened. You can now hear. And so when we come to know God, what he wants from us is our ears. Obedience. And in verse 6, 
burnt offering and sacrifice you have not desired. Then I said, the Davidic king, behold, I come in the scroll of the book, the law, it is written for me. This is how David regards his Bible. It is written for me. That when I read it, it is what God wants me to be, is obedience. You don't listen to the sermon and check off, I need my husband to obey this, for he is wicked, okay? No, it's for you. It's for you. And so, behold, I come. In the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. What would Christ say at Gethsemane? Not my will, but thine be done. And so Gethsemane is the true man, the perfect man, our man. Father in heaven, for this marvelous person, gracious, what can we say? What can we say? He was scarred. He was rejected. He was killed. And we had not a word to say. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he would die for us. Gethsemane. The olive crush. And we today are anointed because of him, his crushing. We today carry a fragrant aroma because of his crushing. We today are illumined because of his crushing. We today have food with delight because of the olive. We have shade. We have wood to make into the most artistic of ornaments because of him. Thank you. Lord, we would say something else, but we're dumbfounded. Thank you. The one contingency that had to be so, Gethsemane. Here is my body. Take it. Because of them, the sheep. All the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will not cast out. But I will raise him on the last day, for this is the will of him who sent me that of all that God has given me, all of the elect from eternity, I lose not one.